English Art International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, and I'm the director-producer of Fresh Talk. Tonight, I'm speaking by Skype with Helena Reckett. Helena is a curator and critic based in London and is a senior lecturer and curating at Goldsmiths University of London. From 2006 to 2010, she was senior curator of programs at Toronto's The Power Plant, and other positions that she's held include senior director of exhibitions and education at the Atlanta Contemporary Arts Center in Georgia, head of talks at the Institute of Contemporary Arts London, and associate commissioning editor for film and performance studies at Rutledge London. In 2011, she was the Clark Curatorial Fellow at Victoria University, Wellington, New Zealand. Tonight, we're talking specifically about her curatorial project for Nuit Blanche in Toronto. Nuit Blanche, if you don't know about it, is an all-night art event that animates the cities in which it's held from dusk to dawn. It originated in 2002 in Paris, and it's traveled to many cities since then. Helena is curator of Zone C at Nuit Blanche on Saturday, September 29th this year. Her project is titled Once More with Feeling. She's working with a number of artists that she believes embody or their works embody this concept, and we're going to talk more about that now. Helena, you've stated that for you the project explores the desire to repeat and remake evoking circuits of renewal as well as movements of revolt. And I'm wondering, why do you think this theme is one that's important to explore? Part of the idea behind the theme, Once More With Feeling, is because I have seen quite a few Nui Blushes in Toronto. It's been going since 2006. And it started off um, as a real experiment and nobody knew whether it was going to, whether it was going to work. And it took off extraordinarily, as you will remember, when you were there a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, it has really taken the the city by storm. About a million people come out to Nui Blanche, which is about one in four people who live in Toronto, which is sort of crazy. Um, but there's also a sense that the event's reaching perhaps a point of a certain you know, repetitiveness, um, and perhaps a certain ennui has entered in. So when I was asked to put together one of the zones, that was, I think, part of my interest. Well, how do we do this? But how do we do it again with feeling? You know, how do we kind of put the sentiment back into it, put the emotion back into it? And, uh, and really, and really sort of, I suppose I was just really fascinated by what a, a communal event of this nature, what, what does it open up? Uh, what does it mean to, to go to an event like this, a big art event where you're seeing art with hundreds and hundreds of other people? And how does that make you feel um, both part of a group and perhaps also very alienated and maybe not part of the group at all? And because it's a 12 hour event, it begins at 6.59 in the evening and it ends at 6.59 in the morning. There's a sense of, you know, the, the minutes passing, the hours passing, the night passing, and the cycles of a night and how art, how an art project can feel so different at 
7 p.m. where mums and dads are taking their kids around or, you know, 5 a.m. where people are exhausted, stoned, drunk, um, you know, cold. Uh, so I was thinking that idea of the sort of looping, repetitive nature of the event uh, is, is quite compelling to me. And which of the projects that you are presenting literally revolve, repeat or feedback? You know, or in some ways, almost all of them. And I, I chose the theme also because I, I thought it was an open enough brief that it didn't, uh, you know, I didn't want to sort of start scrambling around looking for art that illustrated a theme. Um, but because I was quite, because I was attracted to, my initial idea was to work with um, all the pieces were going to be around sound. So, of course, the repetitive uh, nature of, music, the refrain, um, you know, that made this idea of repetition very, very easy. At a certain point, I decided that making it all around sound was a, a bit limiting in terms of forcing me to just work with certain artists, but also maybe a bit um, tricky because I started to think about the logistics of an event with almost a million people. And I thought, oh, my subtle sound works might get a bit lost. So I dropped that as a sort of um, insistence but this idea of, uh, yes, the refrain and, and the loop was the sort of when I was looking at works, I would keep coming back and saying, well, does it in some way have a looping structure? Uh, I mean, it's going to be repeated for 12 hours. My biggest project is um, by the Trisha Brown Dance Company and some kind of, you know, fabulous, iconoclastic, you know, choreographer who came up in the mid 60s and this is a work from 1968 which hasn't been shown very often and I was attracted to it partly because it is a very spectacular work um, the facade of a building is covered with dancers um, who make their way across the sheer face of a building it's spectacular but it's also unspectacular because their movements are quite every day so it's not sort of sector soleil it's a sort of anti-sector soleil it's you know very in a way understated um so that will be repeated by successive waves of dancers um throughout the night um and then there are some works that revolve um in a much more sort of literal way so an artist that you'll remember from atlanta dan walsh mm -hmm. um, i saw goes, his name yeah who goes by the artist name of jd walsh he's animating an underpass um with these video projections which turn everyday architectural motifs into a record player a symbol uh a trumpet that becomes a sort of visual as well as audio um Orchestra. So yeah, but a lot of the works have this sense of um, kind of haunting things that come back to us. Uh, so one of the pieces, which is a few years old now, but I just couldn't resist putting it in, is a piece um, by the Scottish artist Katie Patterson. It's called Earth, Moon, Earth, Moonlight Sonata Reflected from the Surface of the Moon. And when you go, and I've got it installed in this stunning 19th century theatre space that's um, very elegant, the Elgin Theatre. Uh, when you go in, you will see a uh, play a piano just playing itself. And what you think you're hearing is Moonlight Sonata, but something's a little bit off. And what you realise is, um, well, there'll be a text to explain that what Katie has done is worked with um, amateur radio enthusiasts 
to um, bounce a recording of Moonlight Sonata off the moon, translate it into Morse code, and then record what's bounced back. And then transcribe that back into a score, which is played by this automatic piano. So it's sort of Moonlight Sonata, but not, because it's missing certain notes. as she puts it, certain notes have been trapped on the surface of the moon or lost on their way back to Earth. So there's this, uh, I think, very evocative idea that um, sounds never die, but they just reverberate around the universe, which is um, a concept that Marconi, the radio um, innovator, uh, put forward. Which of the artists that you selected engage specifically with sound that has what you would call a haunting or hallucinatory effect? Uh, probably the most clear example of that is a piece by a couple of artists who live in Berlin. Um, they're from Vancouver. They work together and they, they call themselves Hadley and Maxwell. Um, they have a piece which is about um, the sort of cultural haunting of Kurt Cobain. Their piece is called Smells Like Spirit. And um, it's actually in, installed in the loading dock of the same theatre that I just mentioned that Katie Patterson has her piece in. And as you approach the loading dock, there are roadies hanging around, there's a trailer, um, there's obviously some kind of concert either being loaded in or loaded out. And from inside the theatre, you can hear a band rehearsing. And it's the sound of one of Kurt Cobain's last concerts. Um, but they've also done a much more complicated um, soundtrack to go with that, where it, you hear Cobain, but you also hear the crowd. And it's really thinking about the role of the crowd in both the, obviously, the propelling of Nirvana and Cobain to superstardom, but also ultimately in his um, opting out and just not being able to cope with that degree of adulation and, and that degree of pressure. It's about how his voice, his image, him as a, as a sort of romantic, you know, classic romantic male artist um, haunts us and um, and the haunting idea that we might have contributed you know, to his uh, self-annihilation. Well, in that vein also, I'm wondering, are there works that have a, a positive take in terms of the body's memory with, with music that would make you want to dance or make you feel good? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I was very keen um, that there was this sort of exhilarating element to um, my zone because I do think uh, Nuit Blanche is about this sort of communal experience and catharsis uh, through communal experience. So one of the very fun pieces is called Body Xerox and it's by a couple of artists um, who live in Berlin uh, called Ingvar Hollen and Simon Denny. 
and Body Xerox is a disco. It's uh, they don't even call it an art club actually; they just call it a party. Um, and it's um, it's a disco, and there will be DJs, and it's in a tent, and you go in, and there's uh, dry ice, and, you know, loud music, and people having a sort of ecstatic time of it. But instead of disco lights, we have Xerox machines, so um, people obviously um, are creating their own light show through the Xerox machine they're photographing you know them, uh, they're photocopying themselves they're photocopying bits of their bodies paper is piling up you know chaos is ensuing and um, I like that idea I mean I think Blanche always teeters on chaos and I partly wanted to court some chaos and revel in it that is going to be wild it is. <laughs> we have technicians on hand. Oh, <laughs> good. There's a lovely piece. Actually, one of um, the things that was that's quite challenging as a curator of Nuit Blanche is that you also, in addition to the pieces you choose or commission, you're also asked to select from open call, which, as you know, it's always a bit random. But um, one of the open call pieces that um, was submitted so perfect for my zone it's called young prayer and it's by a young artist out in uh, nova scotia called william robinson and um it's um an electric guitar installed in a church which uh, constantly is lowered and then smashes to the ground and it makes these you know crazy sounds and it taps you into you know Jimi hendrix uh, the origins of uh, rock and roll and sort of ecstatic uh, religious experience kind of stuff that um, Dan Graham wrote about, you know, when he wrote about Patti Smith and and uh, Altered State. So, um, yes, that's um, a piece I was really thrilled to come across through the open calls. So we've got a lovely church for that. Very few works you just stand and look at in my zone. Most of them you connect to on a on a very sensory level. Because that, to me, is what Nuit Blanche is about. So one of the pieces that that's also involving music and really think is is beautiful for this project is by a sound artist called Susan Stenger, who is from Buffalo and has worked um, with John Cage, and her work is very sort of Cagean, and it's called um, Full Circle. Uh, yes, Full Circle, and and we're installing it in a bandstand. And surrounding the, the visitor, the, the viewer, uh, will be a series of speakers. And you're sort of enveloped in these waves of sound, which are based on various musical and temporal systems at play. Um, and there are these sort of swelling and receding sounds. It's, and you experience it on a very bodily level. Um, although I didn't commission the piece, it was in a, a festival in Newcastle. It's a 12-hour cycle, and it takes you through 12 hours with their very different quality. So to me, that was just a no-brainer. I was so thrilled to be able to include that. So this is a project that actually marks the time that's passing. Exactly. And I do remember, I did attend at Nuit Blanche in Toronto a few years back, and I appreciated the arc of energy in that 12 hours and seeking out energy at the wee hours in the morning and not necessarily finding it 
It was <laughs> definitely a struggle against time. I think that Nuit Blanche sets for itself. That's been my. I mean, I'm not. I'm not really a big night owl. So for me, going to Nuit Blanche has. I be absolutely honest with you. Going to Nuit Blanche for me has always been a very frustrating experience. Because I know there's really good work out there, but there's so much work because there's the curated stuff, but there's the open cause and then there are independent projects and then everyone and their mother decides to put something on in their front yard, <laughs> which is my little contribution to Nuit Blanche. So you're, you know, you have this sense of the overwhelming, I think something like 3000 artists are involved this year. You know, that's about, that's about, you know, 2,800 too many in my opinion. Um, and so you can't deny the sort of exhaustion of Nuit Blanche and the, the sort of struggle of Nuit Blanche. So some of the works do, um, they sort of riff on that. So again, actually, through Open Call, I found a, a really fun piece by a couple of Toronto-based artists, Julian Hingaray Nunez and Adam Sveck. And they've, it's called Nuit Blanche survey in critical race and the two artists have a race with each other to go and see all the all the pieces to tweet about them and do podcasts about them and their comments will be broadcast um in a central location and who can make it back to the finish line having crossed off all the projects um is the sort of fun aim of their piece oh we'll have to add that website or that url to our podcast so people can exactly. look, look it up that sounds totally insane doesn't it sound crazy yes, it does it I know. does not sound like anything i would choose to do no. but uh, i appreciate that they're going to do it for us <laughs> and another artist is making a piece all around the idea of queuing because as oh as God. you may recall queuing is is an well is it a probably an inevitable part of Nuit Blanche and that was again something I really as I was thinking about my pieces I was like I don't want anything that's going to involve somebody standing for an hour in a queue to then go into a gallery or a you know church or an office and see something for five minutes because to me you know that's really unfair on the viewer but it's also unfair on the artist right because they're exhausted by the time they get in yeah yeah. So one of my artists has made a piece called Moth Maze, and it's a piece about a sort of cue system. It's a film, very, very lovely poetic film filmed in this um, lamp factory, but it takes you through a labyrinth. And that labyrinth um, cue structure is repeated in the sort of sculptural device that he has set up for um, where you actually see the film. So you can only see the film by queuing. So we're sort of making a positive out of the negative with this work. Which of the projects creates what you call a sense of time outside time? Um, I would say the piece I mentioned earlier, Full Circle, um, Susan Stenger, this, it, 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 it creates a sense of time inside your body um, where you feel connected to something bigger than yourself and bigger than the place you're in, these sorts of swellings and sense of um, force of, of, of sound and then sound withdrawn. Um, there's also another piece, actually, from the open call um, by a group called the Curtan Collective. And, and essentially, it's a sort of uh, a group improvisation, um, music and dance, sort of communal piece. 
um, where they there's drumming, there's dancing, there's clapping, and they're making video projections from the ambient heat that um, comes from the crowd. So that sense of sort of being lost in, uh, yeah, lost in a group. And that sounds like one of, uh, like an exhilarating experience too, to be involved in. Exactly. Very physical and light and sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess in the media saturation that is contemporary art in general, the world in general, the most surprising media that these artists work with might be the the Xerox machine? Maybe. Yeah, there is. The the Xerox machine is sort of anachronistic, isn't it? Now that we all have scanners and, um, you know, phones that we can do Instagram with, who needs a Xerox machine? Yeah, I would also say that um, perhaps slightly anachronistically as well, two of the pieces involve pianos. Oh, yes, that's right playing of pianos so there's the piece Katie Patterson's Earth Moon Earth but there's also a work with uh, two artists sorry Ruth Ewan and Maeve Brennan and um, Maeve is a very very skilled pianist but with terrible stage fright to the point that um, generally she can't perform in public the piece involves her going and trying to play a piece of music which she may actually fail to do. And that's a piece about the sort of pressure on the performer and the pressure on the artist, the pressure of a 12-hour sort of durational event like Nuit Blanche. And maybe, you know, one option is for the performer to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, you know, I'm not going to play the game. Sort of perhaps loops back into the Kurt Cobain idea of his sort of opting out. The audience will be seated. They will wait for her I see. to play or it's not. It's a staged and event of sorts. It's a, staged, okay. it's a staged event, and it could be a staged event of playing. It could be marvellous playing. It could be faulty playing, or there could be no playing. And that's the risk we take going into that one. Exactly. What's, what's the name of that piece? It's called Tremolo. Oh, which I That's think is a, a musical term, isn't it's it? Beautiful. But, yeah, and I'll tell you, this is the piece that the Nuit Blanche people are most worried about. I'm sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, the whole idea is to produce a spectacle, you know, something for people to um and ah over. And part of me wanted to sort of challenge that a bit. And I see. That's why uh, you wrote that you chose to embrace the potential of mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> I was just covering my ass with that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and and tell me now about the relationship of your idea to the Mayan end of days that's prophesied for December hmm. 21st. How does this come into play? Um, I think it's, again, to do with the idea of repetition, because, of course, the end of days have been prophesied ever since there have been days. Um, you know, Frank Commode wrote about the sense of an ending and every every era um, sees itself as an era in crisis and there's always somebody who says, you know, the apocalypse is nigh. To be honest, when I started, when I set up this uh, zone, I wasn't really thinking about the Mayan end of days, but there are a few pieces that um, where the artists are really interested in that. So um, Dave Diamond, an artist from Toronto, is making a piece called The Day After, comma, Tomorrow. And he's sampling end-of-the-world footage from 200 disaster movies. 
literally play on this massive bank of, of uh, monitors. Mm, that's so a this... cheerful piece. <laughs> you know, it will be fun. Actually, though. I bet it will be fun. There's <laughs> probably some piece. vintage film, right? He has re- he has sampled almost. I mean, he has identified every disaster film. And um, I, I've got a little note from him here. Oh, here we go. He says he's representing pretty pretty much every land-based disaster film ever ever made. I don't want viruses as they are non-visual. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, uh, he's created these sort of arbitrary criteria. And I think the fun will be, you know, going, oh, God, I know that movie. Or there'll be, you know, very iconic movies and then we'll be completely forgotten, like rubbish B-movies that, um, probably should have been forgotten, you know. And so what do you hope everyone remembers about Zone C? <laughs> um, I don't actually think that the viewers really give a damn which zone they're in. That's one oh, thing. Heck. It's a sort of curatorial <laughs> kind of fantasy that people are, you know, so attuned to your vision. Um, I hope that they... I hope that they kind of get lost in the zone. I What I don't want is people zipping around and crossing off. Oh, I've seen that, seen that. I hope that... There's something about the experience of being out in the middle of the night, you know, with a load of other people, many of whom probably wouldn't be looking at contemporary art normally, um, in the middle of the city, and that it's, you know, something happens to them that wouldn't happen to them in their everyday. And, um, yeah, what more could you ask for as a, as a curator? That's a very exciting prospect. listening to Fresh Talk with Helena Reckett. Read more about Helena and hear other podcasts in this series on freshartinternational.com.